Well, God bless you. Thank you for worshiping tonight. Uh, thank you, Brother Sal, for... I, I occasionally like to hear a fast-paced song, uh, so I need that. I grew up playing the drums to black gospel music. I was uh, raised in an independent church predominantly. Oh, God bless you. you may be seated. Predominantly, our fellowship was, um, at least initially, mostly PAW, and uh, so I grew up uh, playing the drums to fast music. So a uh, little uh, thank you for that. I appreciate you. Amen. Well, I, I am tackling uh, tonight this, uh, the book of Ruth. And I, I know out there there's someone saying, Brother Kilman, I thought this was a session on prophets. And so I, let me do a little apologetic work. Um, the, the Bible is, uh, uh, has to be understood in the context of what it testifies about itself. How many of you think if Jesus says it, it's kind of important? Okay, it might be important. Uh, Jesus testified, he said, these are they, the scriptures, he said, rather, which testify of me, the law, the prophets, and the writings, right? And that's Jesus' classification of the Old Testament. So when they said, uh, we're going we're gonna to teach out the prophets, I was like, that, that's awesome. I said, now you're talking about any prophets? And they were like, yes. I was like, good, because that's like a huge portion of the Old Testament. Uh, we know the uh, Pentateuch, of course, what we've already studied. Then we, uh, the Bible calls them the prophets. We say the minor, uh, the major and the minor, which would be the latter prophets. But the former prophets are actually what we call the historical books. All right. And so how many of you loved history in school? Oh, that's terrible. How can you love it? You must have had better teachers than me. I had horrible history. No, it was probably just me. All right, I did not have fun studying history until I hit seminary and actually had a prof show me a great way of engaging history, and that was a very, very fun way to learn how to engage history. So if you see history as just dry dates and facts instead of the sweep of humanity and, and hopefully God at work in the world, uh, God at uh, work, his hand visible through the actions of people, then that's a much better way, greater way in terms of understanding history. Well, that's called the former prophets because uh, we, what we have to understand is this is not just history. This is history from God's perspective. And um, I know we, how many we got? We got some preachers in here. How many of you are preachers? We got a few of them in here. That's so, hallelujah. I get nervous uh, when preachers just take an Old Testament passage, especially a story, and dance it on its head and make it mean something totally foreign to the text. Okay, and people say, well, be careful, Brother Kim. And I understand you can do that occasionally. Um, and, and I have a, a good buddy who says that he does some of his greatest preaching out of context. I poke fun at him every time he says it, and he's a great guy. But here's, here's the problem with uh, doing that as a, as a whole, is you have to understand that history uh, in the Bible is from God's telling, and it's a select telling of the history, by the way. God's lifting up the most important parts so that we can understand who he is and how he's at work in, in history. And so what we should ask then is I'm less impressed about your neat telling of the story and preaching on it other than God's commentary. I'd rather hear God's, how many would rather hear God's commentary? All right, so you should approach those historical books saying this, how, does the, how do these stories preach to us? And, how, and what is the commentary that God says on these uh, former prophets? So I'm going to take the book of Ruth tonight. Uh, that you, in the former prophets and um, and tackle uh, a subject that I think it's fun. Um, hopefully, you'll go along with me. And I see my wife back there; she's going to cough at me eventually when I'm out of time. All right? So take solace in the fact that she's here tonight. All right? So Ruth. How many of you know the the story of Ruth? All right. Good. So we're we're familiar. All right. If I titled this, it might be Ruth uh, and the Kinsman Redeemer, or it might be more than a love story. Turn to your neighbor, poke him in the arm, and say, this is more than a love story. Okay, it is, it is terrible, terrible, terrible to just preach Ruth as a love story. Is it a love story? Yes. But it's more than a love story, and we're going to see what that looks like when we get in there. Because the book of Ruth actually tackles the tough stuff of life. Tackles tough questions like this. Where is God when things are going wrong in the culture? All right, so um, if you look, how many of you have ever studied the book of Judges? 
Anybody? Oh, yes, good. Some of you. All right, the book of Judges is a horrible story. It gets worse and worse and worse. And the first uh, uh, 16 chapters of the book of Judges tell these horrible stories. They start out kind of good, but they're small compromises. Um, and because they don't honor covenant, they're like always, they invite sin in. They think they're smarter than the last generation. They invite a little sin in because we're smarter than the last generation. And sin always leads to bondage. Sin never, it promises things like this, intimacy, it promises fulfillment, and sin destroys and puts you in bondage, right? And I wish I had time to talk about that a lot, but that's the theme. And they go through 350 years of just trying to do this and going, ah, no, it didn't work out so good. We're in bondage again. And they go through seven cycles of where they, they fall into sin, God sells them into the hand of the enemy, you know, because he loves them so much, he won't let them stay in sin. So he brings in an afflictor because he could be quiet and let them go to hell, but he loves them too much. He chastens those that he loves, right? And so then under the affliction, they cry out. And as one man said, I love the lady, he says, God says, hey, great to hear from you in any condition. Great to hear from you. They cry out to God, God sends a deliverer, and they usually only serve God in the lifetime of the judge. It's terrible. And then they, another generation comes up, and they think they're smarter than the last generation, and they fall into sin, and they do it all over again. And uh, that's a, it's a terrible story. Uh, I wish we had time to talk about it, but we don't tonight. All right, but if you look at chapters 1 through 16, you can see it steadily getting worse until we get to 17 and 18, Uh, in Judges, and it paints this picture of a Levite uh, who comes through town. He's looking for a place to light, and, um, you know, he's not at home working the land that God told him to. And he comes in, and, and he joins himself to a man. They create some false doctrine and make compromises in terms of worship that are incredible. They build an altar to God. They build an idol to God. And they mix religion, kind of make up their own thing. And, and this isn't the pagan culture around them. This is what God drove them out from, said, look, I know the Canaanites. They're into all this pagan practices. This is what I don't want uh, named among you. This is what I don't want you to practice. And then ultimately, there they go. My Lord. God bless them. I, I wish you patience. You're going to get it. Tribulation work. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. So uh, ultimately, uh, what happens is, is because they build this pagan kind of religion, you can never get, okay, if you, if you read the last three chapters, 19, 20, and 21 of Judges, when you read it, you're thinking, how can these stories even be in the Bible? It's the most horrific types of story you'll ever hear in your life. I won't tell you too much. I'll let you look at it on your own time. But a man's comfortable sending out his daughter and a concubine, and they they, uh, bluntly rape her all night until she's dead. And then he gets such righteous indignation, he cuts her up in pieces, sends her all over Israel. They rise up and have this huge uh, battle with uh, the tribe of Benjamin and end up almost destroying the tribe of Benjamin. They say, oh, no, what do we do? Well, we better call some women in to sleep with them. And it's just, by the time you get to it, you're thinking, how is this even in Scripture? It's kind of like watching people as they get an award. And they're, they're getting an award for a song or a movie or something, God forbid. And this is what they say. I'd like to thank God. And you're like, God didn't have anything to do with that. <laughs> and you're thinking you're waiting on God to go, no way, claim that yourself, you know. All right, and so that's where they get, but I'm going to tell you, they would never, this last three chapters, 19, 20, and 21, would never occur if they didn't have the religious compromise in chapters 17 and 18. I was talking to a friend today, uh, and if it wasn't for this Levite making up their own religion, uh, he, they would never have got into these types of compromise. And we were talking about a particular man who used to be a wonderful man of God who's now left the movement, and he's trying to reach in and change our movement a little bit through his influence. And you're sitting there and you're thinking, how in the world did this wonderful man of God get in this condition? 
little compromise, and then it spills out into life, and it's not, not long before the story is just splashed, and it ends up in chaos. All right, so what do you do? Thank you for that wonderful, uplifting sermon, Brother Kilman. All right, what do you do? How do we respond in a culture like that? And when everything around us is going crazy, how do we respond? Well, this is what the book of Ruth will teach us tonight. That if we would just live for God, that quiet faithfulness will always be blessed. Because God always has a faithful remnant that he will use to accomplish his tasks. I'm going to try not to get too preachy tonight, but I'm going to tell you, I know what it's like to be in a, in, around people and everybody else in your circles or maybe, you know, you're at work or, or maybe you're at college, you're on a campus somewhere, you're in your profession and other people are doing crazy things and you can sometimes think, Lord, how can we compete with this culture? How can we make a difference at all? And this is the challenge of, uh, of, of Ruth. You can, God is going to use that faithful remnant to accomplish his will on the earth. And it can get down to where you think there's no way, there's no way. In Noah's time, it got down to eight souls. But God had eight people that he would accomplish his will and his work through. Right? And that's, that's the story of the book of Ruth. The, the setting of the book of Ruth, like we said, is in this horrible times uh, of the judges. And it's ultimately just three generations uh, before uh, David is born. And we're going to see that it's up to their faithfulness. You know, God uses faithful people. And it's through their faithfulness uh, that ultimately King David is going to come on the scene. Right? And so we're going to talk about... Uh, how they go from Moab, uh, from Bethlehem uh, into Moab. Let's see what that uh, looks like. All right, so if you want to tell the initial story of Ruth, she leaves Moab, and you could say it in this phrase, from tragedy uh, to triumph. That's probably the story uh, of Ruth. So in Ruth, we encounter loss and suffering for sure. Right, and you're going to feel that in your life and in the lives of, uh, of those around you. Disappointment and disorientation uncertainty, and even at one point, even bitterness. Now, and the question would be, how did, how did they get in that condition? There's a little debate in scholarship on that. But I'll just tell you, from my reading of Scripture, they left Bethlehem, the house of bread. Now, they were under a famine for sure, right? And, and they said there was a famine in the time. And, and what was that about? It was about them not living for God. And he says, if you don't live for me and walk in covenant, I will shut up the heavens. Why? Because he loves us. He chastens those that he loves. So under that famine, they, they uh, reach the place where they're going to leave, and ultimately, Naomi is going to end up in bitterness. But here's the other things we find. We also find good news. We find a perfect picture of Christ. We find love, commitment, perseverance, hope, and here's the biggest key, God's powerful and tender hand throughout. And I hope I can convince you tonight that this is more than just a love story. It's actually preaching to us that quiet faithfulness God will endorse and bless. And we'll see if we can get there by the end of the night. All right, so the story's about transforming, right? He's turned our mourning into dancing. We like to sing about it, but maybe not live it. Okay, I'm up here by myself. How many of you say there's lots of things that I'd like to sing until you have to live? And when I see someone uh, like my sister came at Calvary, and if you knew the circumstances uh, that she sang that song, um, Shattered But Not Broken. And if you knew the circumstances in her life at that point that she and her husband was facing, there's a depth with which people can sing songs that I just have to stand back in because that's not my testimony yet. I've lived a pretty good life. God has protected me from some things. But I see some people and say, through it all, you know, songs like that, you just have to stand back and go, okay, that's a testimony of somebody who's uh, been through some things. And then uh, lastly, it's about faith, faithfulness, trusting God's hand in history and that uh, through us, uh, he will ultimately work. All right, so how can our lives make a difference in the culture, Brother Kilman? Well, this is what the book of Ruth preaches, and this is what you should say in the historical books. What does this preach to me? This is what it preaches. How can my life make a difference? This is what it preaches. That's not your problem. That's God's problem. All right? 
It's God's problem to take our lives and our, our sometimes what we think is small, insignificant little lives and make an impact on our time. That's God's business, not ours. And you have to trust that he's able to do that. So we see in Ruth chapter uh, 1, uh, they, they start out in Bethlehem, and then they uh, go to Moab, and, and then they come back. So Naomi's family uh, gets in famine, and so they decide to go to Moab. Now, Moab was a horrific people, just saying. They were really, really bad. They were one of Israel's most aggressive enemies. And instead of maybe crossing the river and go, going to the uh, other tribes across the river, they decide to align themselves uh, with Moab. And in three short uh, verses, we find uh, this incredible commentary on uh, Naomi's life. And it says, And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab, by the way, which was against the covenant practice, and the name of the one was Orpha, and the other, uh, name of the other Ruth, and they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Chilion uh, died, also both of them, and the woman was left of her two sons and uh, her husband. So in three short verses, Elimelech dies, and after ten years, so do, does her two sons. Now, you have to appreciate the social setting that Naomi's in. They took wives from Moab. Uh, and they dwelled there 10 years, and ultimately, she's left there with her two uh, sons. Then her sons die. This is the most precarious position socially she could be put in. She's a widow in a country not her own, and now, now she doesn't even have her sons. Because, see, in those days, uh, pretty much they, it was the man. The man went out and tilled the field and uh, provided for the family. And, and you married uh, with that in mind. Uh, so just a side note, ladies, if he doesn't work now, probably don't date him. <laughs> Sorry for that. No, I'm not really, but okay. If he has a problem bringing home the bacon, he's not a very good man. Go ahead, just, just write him off the list. You know, he might look cool, but you can be married to cool. That'd be fine, I guess. All right. All right. Uh, but ultimately, not only that, then it would fall to her sons to care for her. But then both of her sons die, and she's left without a means uh, to provide for herself. And so ultimately, she hears that there is a, uh, God has favored uh, Israel again, and, and there's a, no longer a famine, and she returns to Bethlehem. But in that, she tells her daughters-in-law, uh, go back and, um, and stay with your parents. Because the position that she's in now, uh, with the loss of security and status, is this. She's destitute. She's lower than the servants in that land because she's in a land that's not her own. At least they have a master that's going to take care of them. She absolutely has nothing. Now, by obligation, uh, we know that Ruth and Orpha were uh, obligated to stay with her and share in her faith. Fate. But ultimately, she says, look, I'm going to release you, uh, Rome, uh, Ruth uh, 1 and verse 8. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each to your mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. Now, when she talks about dealing kindly there, that's the Hebrew word uh, chesed. It's covenantal faithfulness. You have been faithful and loving to me. Now I'm going to, all I'm going back to, she's saying basically, is pain and hardship and, and setback. And because you've been faithful to me, I'm going to release you of your uh, obligation. All right? And, and ultimately, uh, one of them decides to go back. And, and she says, don't entreat me. She says, no, no. She says, look, what do you expect me to do? Do you expect me to raise up another son, to get married, have another son? And then you can marry that son. And would you wait so long to marry the son that I would have later, which was part of that social custom? She says, go back to your people, uh, go back to your family, and go back to your gods. And so ultimately, uh, Ruth is, uh, uh, Naomi rather, is in a tough place. And she, because of her circumstances, uh, is attempted to be bitter. And we're going to see ultimately that that's where she land, lands. But Ruth says to her, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whether thou goest, I will go. And whether thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people. I'm ready to leave my culture behind. All right, that's part of the conversion process. And thy God 
uh, my God. Where thou diest will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more, so, uh, more also, uh, if aught but death part thee and me. And she clave uh, to Ruth, uh, or Naomi rather. And so when she gets back into town, they look at her, and they say, wow, is this Naomi? Because the way she comes back into Israel, they're thinking, wow, her name meant pleasantness, and, and she no longer looks like that. You can tell that this 10 years plus has taken a toll on her, and when she comes back, she says, don't call me Naomi, don't call me pleasant, call me Mara, which means bitter, because the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but there will be times in your life where it seems like, and I don't know that this is necessarily the case, that the chastening hand of God is true, but you don't have to become bitter in, in being chastened. But even if you're tempted to be bitter, I promise you that the Lord, we're going to see, knows how to bring uh, Naomi even out of this. All right, so um, let's look where Ruth gets back in the land. Ultimately, she goes in with Naomi, and Naomi says, uh, this is what you do. You go down. I know some people that own some property. They're close to us in terms of being a kinsman. You go down there and glean from the fields. Uh, so life for Ruth is not going to be any easier, right? Because she's a, a female, a foreigner. She's barren and widowed. Okay, her prospects are next to nothing. Who's going to marry that in Israel? Now, you might get some boys that left Israel to be interested in her. But ultimately, what she's hoping is, is this. Isaiah 117, uh, the Bible says, the Lord says, Learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, and plead for the widow. And what it looks like is she knows enough about Israel to say, they can, I, my hope is that there's some godly people down there that will honor the Lord and plead uh, for uh, the widow. The Bible says in chapter 2, verse 1, And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name uh, was Boaz. What's interesting is uh, the language there, Ishkabor Hayel, in the Hebrew, uh, in chapter 2, verse 1, when it says mighty man, it's translated a man of standing or worthy man. And, it, and that, that piece about ish gabor in the Hebrew means a man mighty in halil or strength, power, honor, or wealth. And so it's about not only his wealth, but about his honor. But get to contrast what the scripture is saying. Here, you couldn't find two people in a social context that are that are so diversified. You have one man of standing, a worthy man, that's honored in the culture, strong in wealth, ability, and honor, and he's galaxies away from Ruth's own social status, a Moabite widow uh, who's barren, okay, with no land. Right? And ultimately, this is what, uh, what happens. Ruth goes to the field and gleans, begins to gl glean, and Boaz asks about her. Who is this one? Oh, that's that... You know, it's that Moabite damsel is what they basically say. They call her, you know, well, no, you'd, no one you would be interested in, Boaz. And then he asks about her and finds out, you know what he finds out? That she has been faithful to Naomi. He says to her, he says, look, um, who is that lady there? And what, what's the circumstances of her? Well, that's, that's uh, Ruth. That's the Moabitess. She came back with Naomi. She didn't have to come back. But she's here gleaning in the fields to take care of her mother-in-law. And Boaz is attracted to what she does, not what she has to offer. She has nothing in terms of social status to bring to the table to bargain for any type of venue with this great man. But what does get her before the eyes of this great man is her desire to be faithful and do what she can for her mother-in-law. I'm going to tell you that's... That's huge, right? Because that's the type of thing that will ultimately, uh, we'll see, bring her before Boaz and create opportunities. So her special uh, favor was given because of uh, her faithfulness to Naomi. And that's what we see in verses uh, 10 uh, and 11, if I can get there. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground because he basically says to the men, you know, cut some corners, leave some stuff for her, and, and don't let, and he says, look, Come eat with me. You can stay here as long as you want. Uh, nobody's going to bother you. None of the guys that I have working for me. Now, remember, 
It's the time of the judges. All right, and that's a real threat. Here she is, a widow, an outsider that, that could really be taken advantage of. And Boaz says this, no one's going to mess with you. You only glean from this field. And because of, of his heart to do the right thing, God creates this incredible moment. I'm going to tell you, God knows right where you're at. And he's working in your circumstances. And you can say, how did I get in this precarious position? And ultimately, it's the hand of God guiding your life towards the end of what he wants to accomplish in you. If you can just be faithful in the things that he's given you to do right now. Always keep your character up front. Resist the urge to get bitter. When things don't operate, look, it may not operate the way you want it. The doors may not open that you think should open, but ultimately trust that God knows how to work the things in your life that need to get there. Then she fell on her face and, and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thy sight that thou should takest knowledge of me? See him, I am a stranger. I'm an outsider here. Why are you doing this? And Boaz answered and said unto her, It has... Uh, hath fully been showed me all thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the day of thy, uh, thine husband and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity and have come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. Right? So uh, Ruth uh, basically gets, he gives her 30 pounds of grain. So if you look at the documents over in Babylon, that's what uh, harvesters would get for uh, one or two days uh, of solid work. And he just gives it to her, something that they could live on for uh, quite a while. Right? And so that's ultimately why, why he says, why did I do that? Because of your love and loyalty to Naomi has enraptured me. <laughs> Let me give you some practical advice, ladies. All right? Uh, this is the way you can endear yourself to a true man of God. Just be faithfully serving, doing what you can to be a person of character. What will endear you to God by being faithful, having integrity, and doing whatever God puts before you with uh, faithfulness? And I promise that's, that's what's going to uh, happen. Uh, and uh, verse 20, she goes home and tells Naomi, and Naomi says unto her, Daughter-in-law, blessed be uh, he of the Lord, who hath not left off the kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto the, the man is near of kin unto us, one of our own kinsmen. And when he says, uh, when she says, who hath not left off his kindness, that again is that word chesed in the Hebrew, his covenantal faithfulness, who this uh, love. So the question is, whose uh, chesed is at play here? All right, Ruth tells, tells Naomi, hey, things went well, and he tells her of a blessing, and this is, this is what she says. Look, this is, this is the hand of God. And Naomi starts to see, you ready? In the faithfulness of Ruth, the hand of God working. And sometimes God comes in powerfully. He sends a mighty prophet. Sometimes God comes in like in Egypt and does mighty works. But sometimes it's just in faithful people doing what's right. And people say, now that's the hand of God in that act of kindness. That's the hand of God in that act of faithfulness. And that's what they begin to see. So uh, she says, look, it's, it's nothing more than the, it's nothing less rather than the hand of God because not only is Boaz uh, a, a relative, he's a near kinsman and can redeem uh, the land that's in, in hot, kind of how we got ourselves in trouble. So in Boaz's faithfulness, his chesed, Naomi sees God at work. And that's how God works through uh, faithful people. Look at what the scripture says. Ruth is introduced this way in the scripture. She's the Moabitess damsel. That's the one. Who is that over there? She's some Moabite girl. You don't want anything to do with her. Some uh, east side chick, you know. And also it says in chapter 2, verse 6, And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It's that Moabitish damsel. That came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. Nobody wants Moab, you know, my wash pot. Nobody wants to talk about Moab. You don't want anything to do with her. But here's what's fascinating about the contrast of what God, this is how, this is how Ruth preaches to us. All right, a Moabite, one of Israel's most ferocious enemies, a pagan, right? Because remember, Naomi says, go back to your people and your gods, right? But Boaz behaves the way an Israelite should. That's pretty good. We get that. But Ruth, 
an outsider, not from Israel. Also, this Moabite pagan is more of an Israelite than the children of Israel. Now, I'm going to tell you what that means. That means nobody, we don't have any uh, blue bloods here. There's no such thing as a second generation. And if you're not faithful, I don't care who your family is or what your name is. God's going to just find some Moabite. It's going to come in. And you know what's going to happen? He's going to say, I found a vessel who I can work through. And because of their faithfulness, I'm going to lift her up. And she's more of my people than my own people. That's how Ruth preaches to us. And that God will work through the faithfulness of this one woman to bring about his plan in the earth. I'm trying to behave. All right? All right, so uh, she behaves the way they, they should. All right, and so marriage in those days, you have to understand, was very, very practical. It was about what you had to offer. It's about, you know, the girls would size you up. Can you work in the field? If not, sorry, got to feed the babies. It was much more uh, practical in those days. Uh, and you have to understand that Ruth was the lowest the lowest social rung and had nothing to offer in terms of the marriage. And that's what makes Boaz's loving actions here incredible. All right, but here's the key. You ready? I'm going to give you some help in dating, both men and women. They were not socially on the same level, but they were spiritually on the same level. All right, and you can have somebody on, on the, look, marry cool if you want to. That's just great. But then you're married to cool, and good luck with that. All right? But if you marry a strong man or a strong woman, a person of depth, it doesn't matter if they have so much to offer right now. If they have the right type of character, if they have the right type of spirit and things in their life in terms of obedience and love of God, guess what? God ultimately will bless that, and Ruth will be raised up, and pretty soon they're going to be the same socially, even in the culture. We're going to see that by the end. All right, so Ruth chapter 3, uh, Ruth pursues Boaz. So Naomi, Naomi says this, look, this is incredible. I see the hand of God here. I see some hope here. Uh, let me instruct you, instruct you on how to win a man. So this is very, very practical. I'm going to try not to be facetious. All right. She tells her to bathe. preach that you know (laughs) that's probably helpful uh to put on perfume we like it you know it's kind of true all right and dress in her best uh you know i'm not saying there there are people that have their own style i'm not saying that but you don't have to be frumpy okay what's frumpy if you don't know what that means never mind i'm leaving it alone i'm backing out i'm gonna leave that for brother juan he's the leader up here (laughs) But here's the, here's the terrible thing. Uh, she says, look, I know that there looks like God's at work here, but Naomi is still empty. She still doesn't have a position of favor. Even though they're getting the daily sustenance, they're not in a secure, secure position. And Naomi is still empty. And Ruth's future, what if something happens to Boaz? Her future is still precarious, right? Because she hasn't locked into anything permanent. And so uh, what Ruth does is says, I want you to go find Boaz at the barley harvest. Now, what does that mean? Well, they're going to work all day. And because of the, of the winds that come through, uh, they, the wind has to be just about right. Uh, a threshing floor is where they would go. And they would, you could see there where they would toss the barley or the wheat up in the air. The wind ha- couldn't be too strong or it would carry away the wheat or the barley. So it had to be just right. So they're going to do this about sundown. Okay. And so uh, Naomi is counseling Ruth to go at a very, very precarious time. Because she ultimately could be taken advantage of. What is she trusting in? She's relying on Boaz's righteous character. And Naomi is sure Ruth will be safe. Now let me get very, very practical to all you guys. Can God trust you with the character of a woman? Then don't keep her out to 2 a.m. Protect her character. Can God trust you? Okay, enough said. That's what Ruth knows. And here's, Naomi says, this is what I'm going to do. 
because I know Boaz has character. I'm going to depend on your character, Ruth, and I'm going to throw in the land as a deal, as a part of the bargain. If he marries you, he gets the, he gets the land. Now, what happens? Now, Naomi could be left out in the cold and not get taken care of at all. And Ruth and Boaz could ultimately have the land. So what's Naomi trusting in? She's also trusting in Ruth's faithfulness, her chesed. All right, so ultimately the plan depends on Ruth's uh, faithfulness and Boaz's faithfulness uh, to make it happen. So what happens? Well, well, Ruth uh, does what she's counseled, but she goes one step further. She makes a bold move. She goes in, uh, at the barley uh, uh, a threshing floor, which would have been in, like an open porch type deal, and she uh, lies down at the feet of the sleeping uh, Boaz and asks for his uh, protection as a close, uh, close relative. Now, what does that mean? I have to do a little apologetic work here. I apologize. All right, there are some people that would suggest that this um, uncovering the feet is a euphemism uh, for certain types of activity. Okay, it's not true. I could explain why. Come see me later if you really want to know. All right, that's, that's as a big a stretch as you can get. That is not the case here. What happens is, is this happened literally. She uncovered his uh, feet. And that was a prelude to her uh, request to spread the corner of your garment over me which is a symbolic action promising that I would care for you as a husband, not just a kinsman redeemer. So she's asking, yes, kinsman redeemer, can you help us with some money and take care of the note? But she's going further and saying, can you care for me as our husband? Why? Because she's quoting Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 8, where you can see the same language there. And it's the ceremony first, the symbolic act, and then the act of marriage follows. And that's what she's asking for Boaz. Give me the symbolic act first. So she's asking Boaz to marry her, which is a very daring request, first of all, from a woman to a man, especially in that time or even in any time. <clears throat> I'm not preaching that, Brother Juan. Don't get nervous. But uh, then she uses uh, her words uh, to reflect Boaz's own words back to him, where he says in Ruth 2.12, the Lord recompense thy work, a full reward be given unto thee uh, of the Lord, of God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Now, wings and corner are the same words in the Hebrew. And she's saying, look, I'm under the wings of God. You said I'm under the wings of God whom I trust. I want to be under your wings too because I see a God at work in you. So not only does she request Boaz, uh, will you marry me? She goes beyond. Look, see the selflessness of Ruth here. She goes beyond just her own needs and says to Boaz, could you redeem Elimelech's land for Naomi? Selfless. She's throwing it all on the line. He could say, no, I don't want to be invested that far. I'd just like to marry you. But ultimately, she, she lays it all. Look at the picture of God and the heart of this woman who is not even by, by birth one of the people of God. And she's more akin to righteousness and what God expects out of his people than most of the people in his land who say they're living in covenant. Actions, actions, actions. Look, God is watching actions. He uses actions. And thank God he helps us in all of our failings and flounderings. But if that character is right, and he says, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a heart that's toward me that I can work through. And it takes your actions, not just your words. Sometimes you've got to lay it all on the line. A job, a friendship, everything. Everything's on the line with this decision. And so ultimately... Boaz makes an encouraging response. That's true. It goes a little beyond that. Blessed are thou among all women. You know, he's really pleased, very happy uh, that she is uh, uh, looking towards him for marriage. So he appreciates her desire. You ready? Not just for selfishly, but to secure uh, her mother-in-law by giving up uh, marriage uh, to, be, uh, to a younger man. Because he calls her daughter, which says there's a huge age gap. Okay, so ultimately he's saying, look, you're doing this. I see what your motive is, and guess what? I have found a woman that I want to marry, and we're going to see where that ends up uh, at the end of this. All right, and uh, the problem is he has to deal then with the closer relative's claim uh, than what uh, he has uh, to buy uh, back the land. 
right? So uh, ultimately, uh, this deals with two things uh, uh, in Scripture, the Leverite uh, marriage and, and the notion of the kinsman redeemer. All right, these two practices in Israel had a very, very uh, practical social and theological purpose. First, it was to assure the safety of the descendants because they had the promise that the Messiah is going to come through you. So they had an obligation to kind of carry on that descendant because it could be the Messiah is coming through us. So that's one thing it does. Uh, and the second is possession of ancestral uh, family land. And that was the literal representation of the promise made to Abraham. So two things. So if, if a woman was uh, widowed, you would have an obligation as a kinsman to come and raise a son in her name. Okay? All right, so what happens? Well, uh, the sons carry the family name and land, like we've said. And here's Ruth's identity. She's a foreign woman. But to the reader, we see here, because we're going to see very quickly, that this guy comes along and he says, you know what, the, I'd like to buy that land really cheap because I can enlarge my properties. And, and this is what Boaz says. That's true. But remember, part of the redeeming price is you also got to marry Ruth the Moabitess. Now, what he was doing was not illegal, but it, <laughs> it touched beyond the letter of the law. See, a true Israelite would say, I want to care for Naomi. And what do we find? Again, in the heart of this woman, we find, guess what? Who is the true Israelite? Ruth, the one who goes beyond the letter of the law. I wish people, I get weary of people saying, can I do this and be saved? And then you get people walk in that don't know anything, and they're saying, I just want to serve God. I want to live for God. Whatever God wants me to do, that's what I, I'm going to tell you who the true Israelite is. That's the true Israelite. All right, so it's all, also clear to Boaz, because he praises her twice for her chesed, her faithfulness, her covenantal faithfulness. So he calls her the true Israel as well. Further, we see it comes true in the city. We'll see in chapter 3, uh, verse 11, if I can get there quickly. And now, my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. So the Moabite is, in this case, the true Israelite. And to the reader, now remember, this preaches, and that's why it's recorded. And so we should say, how would the story of Ruth preach to the children of Israel, and then how does it preach to us? Because this is God's telling of history. This is what he's saying. He's setting them up for all the next generation. He's saying this, I don't care if you say you're a name brand person. Or I'll put it in context that we can understand it. You can say you're apostolic, second, third, fifth, 30,000th generation. I don't care. How do you live? And that's what he said. All right. Uh, uh, the Hebrew expression there, hayil, Boaz was ish gibor hayil. That shows the same. Now, she is on the same spiritual level as Boaz. She's a virtuous uh, woman. Okay, I got to resist the urge to jump there uh, too fast. Okay, how much time do we have left? Oh, my Lord, I got to quit. All right, we're doing it. Nine, we only have uh, two more slides. I can do it. I think I can, Brother Lucas. Are you skeptical? <laughs> okay. All right, so what happens? Well, uh, ultimately, we see in Ruth 4, Ruth and Boaz are going to start a family. But what Boaz does is he uh, negotiates to marry uh, Ruth. Uh, he talks with the closer relative about the property. Like I said, he's very happy for that. And the other guy uh, loses his shoe in the deal, Brother Welcher. I was teasing Brother Welcher one day about whether or not he was going to marry Sister Danielle Hackenbrook then. He did marry her, happy to say. Congratulations. But he was, I said, uh, so when are you going to marry this girl? And he was like, Brother Kilman. And he takes off his shoe to throw it at me. I say, oh, the ceremony is performed. <laughs> Forgive me for that. All right, so what happens? Uh, Boaz goes to the gates of the city where women have no voice. But God is at work in Boaz. And then the Bible says that the man comes along at the right time. He just shows up. And God's faithfulness is at work, creating the perfect environment for this to occur. And verse 5 says, Then said Boaz, uh, what, uh, what day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon up this inheritance. And so uh, this relative 
fails in the deal to uh, be, like we said, faithful. So the people ultimately then praise and celebrate the marriage, uh, and they compare Ruth. When you look at it, it's staggering what they say. They compare her to uh, the heroines of Israel, the greatest uh, people uh, in Israel, because this relative was not willing to go the, the, the second mile. While obeying the law, right, he was not willing to do what Jesus said, go that second mile that chesed, faithfulness, demands. And here we find she is, and that's why she's remembered. All right? And then they say in there, I wish we had time to dig into it, but I can't. Uh, they wish them, I, we wish on you a famous son, which we will see is ultimately how, uh, what happens. So how does it work? Like I said, God could do wonders. He could send a prophet. But instead, we see in Ruth, God is quietly behind the scenes, God allowed his people to ultimately represent him in this. Boaz's faithfulness represents God's faithfulness. And Ruth's own courageous, loving, and loyal actions. Look, that's what it is. Loving and loyal actions. Not self-serving. That will endear you to the people of God. And ultimately, her name is praised and sung in the streets. And with her commitment to Naomi's God, show a way to go beyond the written wall and seek a kingdom of God, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's beyond the written letter. All right. And she becomes, you ready, a model for what faithfulness looks like. A Moabite. All right. So uh, who is their famous son? Well, in the, in the Hebrew ordering of Scripture... Uh, we we see that uh, what follows Ruth is, uh, or pro, uh, what's uh, right before Ruth in the Hebrew order of Scripture. Does anybody know? Uh, in ours, it's Judges, but what is it in the Hebrew? In the Hebrew ordering of the books, you ready? It's Proverbs. What is the last chapter in Proverbs? Proverbs 31, that's interesting. Yeah, we're going to see what that is in a minute. You're already. So uh, Proverbs 31, 10 through 31 begins with the same phrase. Ishi uh, hayil. Uh, right? A virtuous woman who can find. And right there in Ruth, we see, guess what? Bang. Here's the representative of what faithfulness looks like. <laughs> so what are you saying, Brother Kilman? Love is more than just a feeling or emotion. It's action. Faithfulness is more than, I'm glad you speak in tongues. I'm glad you come here and you raise your hands and you cry out to God. It's a part of what it means to worship God. But it, that worship has to be born out of action that is about commitment, loyalty, sacrifice, and obedience. You know what the true, true test of uh, Christianity is? John tells us it's obedience. This is how you know your disciple. Uh, so who is their famous son? Well, they become, we see right there in the text, they become uh, uh, the last commentary, 18 through 22. Now, these are the generations of Pharaohs. Pharaohs beget Herzon that walks all the way through, and Obed beget Jesse, and Jesse beget David. So uh, their son, Obed, is David's ultimately grandfather, and that makes them ancestors to Christ as well. So what are you saying, Brother Kilman? I'm saying that the book of Ruth preaches this. In a chaotic culture, mostly the way God works is just in faithful people. And here's the challenge. Stand with me. While living in our moment of history we may not always see the impact we make. But our faithfulness may be the setting that God's using for the stage of deliverance. Little did Ruth know that kings would be in her bloodline. How? By just being faithful. <laughs> so let me give you three little applications and then we'll be done. I live in this world too. I'm not in a, a greenhouse. And I know that life can be difficult, especially in a fallen world. But here's the challenge. You can walk with God through it. 
The second thing is, it's lives mostly of simple obedience that are being used by God. But we have to understand that we may not see that good come to fruition in our generation. Can you serve anyway? The fruit may be three or four generations off. The classic example. Had a two-week revival. Only one kid got saved. They're sitting in a a discussion and the deacon board is meeting and they're saying, well, it's all this expense to bring a, an evangelist in and, and all that expense that we paid for two weeks and how can, we, how can we afford to do that for one soul, one little boy? And you know who the little boy was? J.T. Pugh. Who knows? I mean, the kid that you're witnessing to, who knows the young man or the young woman that you're pouring into and trying to minister to? That could be the next great. You don't know what God is doing. Just be faithful. Trust that God's at work and your little steps of faithfulness and that he's watching and when no one else sees. I, you trust me, there's a Boaz that will see. And there's a God that sees. And he's working in your life. Wow, the last application is 20 times in the book of, uh, of Ruth. The, the concept of redeemer, ga'al, in the Hebrew is there. And, and it would be okay if it was Genesis, but man, there's only 85 verses in the whole of Ruth. And to have 20 times that term mentioned, that is the, 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 uh, a huge portion of what it means. So Boaz ultimately meets the four requirements of a kinsman redeemer. What's the four requirements? Well, first of all, it has to be a near kinsman related by blood. Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared for me. Jesus came in the flesh. Why? To be our kinsman redeemer. The second thing, they had to possess a wealth greater than those that, they came to, that he came to redeem. He had to have enough to pay the price. And he knew no sin, but he was made sin for us. The handwriting of ordinances that was against us has he removed, nailing it where? To his cross. And third, they had to be willing to redeem those who were out of favor. Jesus was willing to redeem us. And then finally, they had to actually pay the price. Aren't you glad he paid the price? Look, I'm going to tell you if, you, if I could if I could just challenge you to reach out a little bit. Maybe you're struggling that the Lord doesn't know where you are. I know it gets hard to be faithful under pressure and circumstances. And it's just easy to just give up. I remember walking into my house after I'd been backslidden for about a year and a half. And I was leaving work. Forgive me for the personal illustration. But I'd just been under pressure at work. And I just had made up my mind. I walked in. It was about 11 o'clock at night. And I was just like, it's just too hard. I can't do this. That's I'm just going to quit. I walk in and there's my dad with tears in his eyes talking to my mom. And he says, son, I need you to come in here and I need to talk to you. I was like, oh, no, they're being used in the gifts. <laughs> and he said, look, I've been watching you. I know it's not been easy. He said, but I appreciate the fact that you're working hard to serve God. He handed me the keys to a car. Nova Super Sport. And in that moment, I thought, God, here I was on the verge of giving up, and you had something waiting for me. Listen, don't give up your faithfulness. Trust that the Lord sees you and that he's working through your small actions. One more thing.